morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Get your work out in. We'll be reading Romans 8, uh, 12 through 14, and reading in God's name, in Jesus' name. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Please bow with me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful day. And we thank you for our church where we can come and worship you and study your word and spend time with each other. And we just pray that, I pray, Lord, that you would just pour your spirit out here this morning, that you would speak strongly through Pastor Scott, and that you would help us all to uh, just have open hearts and minds to receive your message. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Kids are dismissed for Children's Church if they haven't already gone. We're continuing with our series on foundational triads, and uh, at this time, we are in our second week uh, studying about man and the fall of man and sin. And as uh, we looked last week in the book of Genesis, uh, we saw the creation of man and also the fall of man into sin. About six months before my son Elijah was to graduate from high school, he got very sick. Uh, what started out as what we thought was the common flu uh, it turned into a full-blown blood infection in a short period of time. Elijah was born with a defective uh, heart valve. He had what's called a bicuspid valve. And uh, so infections of this sort can be lethal if not caught quickly. Uh, Thanksgiving found us at Stanford Medical Center for over a week as they pumped him full of antibiotics and waited for clean blood cultures. As Elijah and I sat in the hospital there, uh, on Thanksgiving Day, and we watched the Vikings play Detroit uh, while eating dry turkey, the Lord began to speak to me. You know, God many times uses parables, and he uses parables in our very lives to speak to us the truths that marriage right before us. Marriage is given to us as a picture of Christ and the church. And so I began to see a parable in the midst of Elijah's sickness. It was a picture of how sin is trying to kill us. As I was waiting for test results, um, we went back from Palo Alto many times. The solution to the problem, which is found here in our text in Romans 8, verses 12 through 14. And so four lessons that you can follow along in your bulletin there as well. Lesson number one, our hearts are defective. Stanford is a teaching hospital, and so Elijah and I learned quite a bit about the workings of the heart and how infection can affect the heart. And we learned a lot about what a healthy vascular system looks like. In a healthy system, the walls of the heart valves are very smooth. And this is important because um, the smoothness of the heart prevents any bacteria from coming in and grabbing a hold of that area and then beginning to invade it and affect it. You want just things to smoothly flow through there. No cracks or crevices for the bacteria to get into. 
and the immune system is able to keep up with most threats to a healthy heart. But Elijah's heart is defective, and those valves, he has two valves instead of uh, two flaps on the valve instead of three, uh, hence the name bicuspid valve instead of the tricuspid valve. And that valve is also deformed a bit. Um, so if you had, for instance, a deformed hand or a withered hand, it would look different. In his heart, valve looked different. It had cracks and crevices and strange uh, malformations on it. And so this made it vulnerable for him uh, in order to get those infections into his heart. And so we knew this from the time that he was born. He was born with this defect. And we knew that he probably would need a new valve someday in his life. Regarding our spiritual condition, Jeremiah 17.9 states, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Each and every one of us has a defective spiritual heart. We're born with it, and there's nothing that we can personally do about it. And so sin easily finds places within our heart, within our lives, to infect us. And our defective heart has no capacity to love or to follow God, from whom all life proceeds. And therefore, it will end up killing us in the end. We see this diseased spiritual heart, or the sin nature, as the Bible calls it, and it's unable to follow God. We look at this in Romans 8, 7. It says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. And so, one of the main problems is that that sin nature cannot inherit eternal life in heaven. In heaven, only that which is spiritually disease-free will survive, because the very presence of God is a consuming fire, and it will consume anything that is not holy. And so that consuming fire burns away our unholiness. And so this is our first main problem. But God's solution to this problem was to give us a new heart, or a new nature, the heart and the very nature of Jesus. This heart transplant is described in Ezekiel 36, 26, where God declares, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so now this heart is no longer hardened against the Lord, and it has the ability, ability to follow God. And in fact, just like Jesus, it only wants to do God's will, that new heart. But do you know the battle for your life does not end once you've, been in, uh, once you've entrusted yourself to Christ and been given that new heart? The battle is just beginning. And that brings us to our second lesson this morning. Sin wants to take over. When the doctors at Stanford began to run these blood cultures on Elijah, they found that the type of bacteria that was in his blood system was from, it's the kind that's in everyone's mouth all the time. We all have strep in our mouths. And it typically stays in the mouth until some kind of trauma in the mouth opens up the lining, whether you bite your cheek or um, maybe you have braces or a retainer that scrapes away at that, and then that strep enters the bloodstream through your mouth. And so for Elijah, that strep, entered his mouth somehow. He actually had braces before and wore a retainer 
we think maybe that the retainer wore away at his gums, and then that got into his system. And normally, you can just fight that. It's no big deal. It goes into your system, and your system is able to fight it. But because of his weakened heart valve, that strep began to infect the valve of his heart. And he actually lost 20 pounds in three weeks, which if you know him, he wasn't that uh, big to begin with. He was fairly thin. And that bacteria wanted to take over all of his entire body, multiplying until there was nothing left of Elijah but only strep. Our precarious spiritual condition is described in verse 12 and 13a of our text. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Notice here that Paul is speaking to believers. He calls them brothers. And these are those who have received a new heart from the Lord. They've placed their trust in Christ. But there's still something that's trying to kill them. It's fighting to take over. He calls it living according to the flesh or living according to the sin nature. And Paul says, if you live that way, according to the flesh, you will die. Now, every single commentary I looked at on this particular passage um, relates this to spiritual death. According to Revelation 21.8, spiritual death is the second death, physical death being the first death. And so, all who experience the second death are thrown into the lake of fire. They go to hell. And it only makes logical sense that this passage is talking about eternal death Because the passage goes on to say that if a Christian will put to death the misdeeds of the body, they will live. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never met anybody that was a Christian that didn't die physically eventually. And so, this is dealing with the second death. This is warning Christians that you are being threatened by the second death if you live according to the flesh. But you might say, well, Pastor Scott, I thought that since I placed my trust in Christ, I'm guaranteed eternal life in heaven no matter how much I sin. Well, it's true that your entrance into heaven is not based on your own sinlessness, but rather on the sinless sacrifice of Christ on the cross. But the problem is there's this verse here sitting in front of us that we have to deal with that says, if you live according to the sin nature, you will die. So the question is, What does it mean to live according to the sin nature? I like Pastor John Piper's definition for sin. He says, sin is anything that we prefer more than God. Food, sex, exercise, work, family, money, fun. All these have the potential of becoming sins in our lives when we place them above God. But notice that the Lord, in the Lord, they're not sinful in and of themselves, right? All of these things are good, things that God created. But when we take those things and we put them in a higher place in our lives than him, then they become an idol. And as we lay our lives at the altar of these idols, the sin nature suppresses our new nature, and we end up quenching the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to our third lesson, 
If left unchecked, sin is fatal. There are many times as a parent that can be very scary. (laughs) You take your child on that first drive or some of those different things that you're releasing your child to, sending them off to the military. And one of the scariest moments in my life was the look on the emergency doctor's face when we brought Elijah into the emergency room at Salinas Memorial. I could just tell that whatever was wrong with Elijah was not just a lingering flu bug. I got the impression that if we had not brought him in that day, we may have lost him. After two months at the Stanford Children's Hospital, I had a greater appreciation of how fast a blood infection can turn fatal. Because strep, if it's left unchecked, will continue to multiply until there's no more of you left. It just feeds off of you until you're gone. In regards to our spiritual health, the question we must must answer is this. What happens to a Christian who refuses to battle against sin and resist the temptation of the world, the flesh, and the devil? Listen to how James, the half-brother of Jesus, describes the progression of sin in the life of the believer. Then desire, that's a longing for things above God, when, when it is full-grown, brings forth death. Full-grown sin is the kind of sin that consumes the life of an individual until there's no more left of the individual, just the sin itself. Because it becomes the master and you become the slave. When sin consumes your life, you begin to lose your faith in Jesus. Your heart turns hard against the direction of the Lord, against the leading of his spirit. And I personally believe that a Christian can get to the point in their life where sin has so dominated them for so long that they actually no longer seek God's forgiveness for their sins. The Bible here tells us in Romans 8.13 that those who live according to the sin nature will die. And so living in that place is a threat to your soul, a threat of hell. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, there's actually no way to correctly interpret this passage except for that. And we are in a battle for life and death. At one point in Elijah's room there, because Stanford was a teaching hospital, uh, I saw 10 different doctors and students gathered around Elijah. And they were battling for his life. They were taking it very seriously. And we must also take this battle for our eternal life very seriously. We're talking about our eternal future here. Even the Apostle Paul was aware that after all he had done for the Lord, there was still danger lurking in the form of the sin nature. Listen to him tell of it in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself be disciplined qualified. The Apostle Paul was afraid that if he didn't discipline his body, he may be disqualified. And so he recognized the need to bring his sin nature into subjection because he recognized how unruly we are. And that brings us to our fourth point and final point, which is good news. Only the Spirit 
can kill sin. As soon as the doctors confirmed Elijah's diagnosis, they began a course of treatment. A powerful antibiotic was pumped in his veins through the IV tube. And this medicine worked to do what Elijah's body could not do. It killed the bacteria. But even after three negative blood cultures in a row, the medical staff was not content. They wanted us to take him home and continue to intravenously give him antibiotics for an additional six weeks. We cannot kill sin in our lives. It's not by willpower that you're going to kill sin. I'm just going to try not to sin today, right? Try that for about two, three days and see how that goes for you. Listen again to Romans, uh, the the 13th verse, as I add the second half of the verse here. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but you will live. Sin uses your physical body to carry out its desires, but we're told to put to death those misdeeds by the Spirit. And so the main question then is, well, how do I accomplish this, right? In order to answer that question, I'd like to first ask you a different question. In what state is being a human, uh, a human being, most alive? In what state are they most alive? Is it when they have unlimited access to sexual experiences? Is it when their lives are marked by one fun event after another? Is it when they've worked hard all their lives and stored up enough money in a nest egg that they can comfortably retire? Is it when they whip their bodies into elite shape and now they're athletic and healthy? Is it when they live in a country where freedom reigns supreme? If these are the hallmarks of somebody whose lives are marked by being very alive, then hardly anybody in the world is alive, right? None of these things are what uh, theologian Westminster Shorter Catechism that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Worshiping God for who he is and enjoying to the fullness everything that he has given you. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is life in the Spirit. Seeing those things that God has given us as best and most beneficial, even though they might not seem like the funnest thing at the moment. And one of the interesting things that I found about antibiotics is that they work on the cells, the bacteria, in a way that's uh, against the normal cells of the human. For instance, um, that bacteria that was invading uh, Elijah's system there, it had a cell wall, whereas the human cells didn't have a cell wall. And so plants and bacteria, they have cell walls, and so what the... um, the antibiotic does is it attacks those walls and it breaks down those walls in order to kill them, but it doesn't affect the individual, doesn't kill Elijah. And so God designed us to glorify and enjoy him, but sin has come in and added stuff, twisted and corrupted us into a disfigured shadow of the original. And so life in the spirit desires to set all that right. The Spirit is getting rid of all those things that make us into anything else but what God intended us to be, children of God. And so this is the cure. 
honoring and esteeming those things that are of God more than anything else in the world. And by the Spirit, then, we can put to death the misdeeds of the body. And every single one of you who's placed your trust in Christ, you have that Spirit within you. That Spirit is working within you. It's convicting you of sin. It's telling you the right direction to go. You know it. How many of you have been doing this? You're going along, and you have a choice before you. And you know that if you choose one way or the other, this is the sinful path, this isn't, because your heart is beating, and you're starting to sweat, and you know it. And yet, our nature is so unruly. Ah, I guess I'll just do this over here, right? Conclusion today. I wish I could tell you that the antibiotics did their job on Elijah and that he was fine. It wasn't. Actually, he ended up having to need a titanium valve. And so he went into the Lucille Packard uh, hospital there, and they put a titanium valve in him. And this valve has given Elijah the possibility of a fairly normal life. But the fact remains that someday Elijah's going to die. He's going to die of something else, whether it's his heart or cancer or whatever else it might be. And so, as his father and as your pastor, I'm not nearly as concerned about physical death as I am spiritual death. And so this is why I continue to battle against sin in my own life and why I encourage you to fight it in yours. A mentor told me one time, Scott, you only lose if you quit. You know what the devil wants you to do? Fall down and lay there. <laughs> so he can just keep kicking you and kicking you. But a righteous man gets up seven times. A righteous woman gets up seven times. It's not about being perfect. It's about getting up again, right? Okay, blew it. Let's try again. But when you just give in, what if we just said, ah, well, we're not going to be able to fight this thing. Just let it take its course. You wouldn't do that in the physical. If something was wrong with you, you go in and you fight it. But for some reason, spiritually, like, eh, I'll just let it go. I don't care. Too tired. <laughs> don't want to do that today. Be relentless. Don't give up the fight. Don't let sin kill your faith in Jesus, but instead, allow your life in the Spirit to kill the enemy. He's trying to destroy you. He's just trying to destroy that fullness of life in the Spirit. Remember how sick you once were and what it cost to make you better. And Father God, I pray that, Lord, you would help us in this struggle against sin. Things in our lives that want to just take over. We thank you for the promise of your Son that you've come to give us life and give it to us abundantly, Lord. Lord, help us to not give up but to get up again, face a new day, knowing that, that you're there to forgive us of our sins. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.